Shout out to Ed Tully for buying us lunch live from the 1900 Maith King Boy Scout Jamboree, where we are all getting our podcasting merit badges. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 260, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Stan. This is Tony. This is Becca. This is Dawn. Scouting on stamps, and we're all going to get our merit badges. First, a bit of history. In South Africa, shortly before the outbreak of the Second Boer War in 1899, the commander-in-chief of the British Army who had failed to persuade the British government to send troops to the region, instead sent Colonel Baden-Fletcher-Smythe Baden-Powell, accompanied by a handful of other officers, to the Cape Colony to raise two regiments of mounted rifles from Rhodesia. Their arms were to resist the expected Boer invasion of the colony of Natal. Like the British government, politicians in South Africa feared that increased military activity might provoke a Boer attack, so the British officers were provided with rifles and ammunition, but no artillery. In those days, generally regarded as quite important for a mobile column. Those would be the horses that he didn't mention. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The horses' butts, in particular. Okay. Would you like to rewrite the script so I can read it we correctly? we got to have horses. No. What? we got to have yes. horses. I'm going to rewrite it. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heaven help us all. <laughs> You could have added just added or horses. I don't know what was actually correct. <laughs> <laughs> Probably both. Yeah. Oh, come on. I don't want to get a dirty email saying, Ben Smith didn't get horses. <laughs> you guys don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> don't you know somebody will don't do that Don't you know anyway? your South African history, folks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boers, by the way, were Dutch farmers and French Huguenot settlers in South Africa. Although the two regiments were raised in Rhodesia, Baden-Powell chose Mafeking, 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 Mafeking. Where were you when we were discussing how to pronounce this earlier? <laughs> uh, probably having lunch. <laughs> Baden-Powell chose chose Mafeking to store supplies for his forces due to its location both near the northern border on the main railway lines and because of its status as a local town and administrative center. Mafeking is at the middle top of what is today South Africa, but was then Cape of Good Hope, west of Johannesburg, which, is the, which was the Boer stronghold of Transvaal and about 680 miles from the coast. And it's a 30-hour 30, 30 plane trip from here. So if you don't know your South African history, the Boers held both the area of Transvaal and the Orange Free State. Yes. That's a lot of pigs. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of the old uh, 
there was an old commercial and they go the boar war what was that for some some game wasn't it no idea oh god i am showing my age anyway because of the boar's greatly superior numbers and commando tactics, it was decided that the best way to tie down boar troops would be through defense rather than attack. The forces defending Mafeking totaled about 2,000, but prior to the siege, Lord Edward Cecil formed the Mafeking Cadet Corps of boys aged 12 to 15, and this is claimed to be the inspiration for the Boy Scouts. They acted as messengers and orderlies and released men to fight. The garrison withstood the siege for 217 days, defying, their, defying the predictions. The Boers decided that the town was too heavily defended to take, but becoming aware of an approaching British relief column, the Boers launched a final attack that succeeded in breaching the defenses and setting fire to some of the town. But they were finally beaten back, and shortly after that, the siege ended. During the siege, the post office ran out of stamps. The postmaster suggested to Baden-Powell, oh, he doesn't have a hyphen this time, uh -oh. that he commissioned the local printer to print stamps for use within the town. Powell agreed to this, but the printer was not wishing to encroach on the Royal Mail's prerogative, decided to use a picture of Baden-Powell instead of that of Queen Victoria. This was the first occasion where a non-Royal's picture was used on a British postage stamp. I bet he didn't object. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't. <laughs> but wait, it didn't have it didn't have a picture of the royal on it. Does that mean they actually put Great Britain on the stamp for the first time? No, actually, because no. but they put Mafeking Siege at yes. the top and the date and the date. The top of it says Mafeking Siege 1900, postage three print pence, and has uh, a picture of Mister Baden Powell with his uh, stellar 1900s mustache. But it doesn't have his name underneath it. So one, one final note on South African history. Um, at the end of the Boer War, after the British totally crushed the Boers, the Transvaal, Orange Free State. Um, Quint, uh, Quince Land West, the Q overprints. That was one no, of them. No, it was, uh, oh, uh, Cape of Good Hope. Yeah. And um, I think there was one other one. Um, they all joined together and became the Union of South Africa that we know today. Yep. Just as South Africa. And then they started printing their own stamps a couple of years later. It took them a couple of years to actually start printing South African stamps. Right. Oh, Natal. Natal. Natal yeah, Natal. One. And uh, actually, I think Griqualand West yeah. was also part of that. Anyway, these, all these small territories were, were lumped together into the Union of South Africa. Under and British administration. There you go. And but that's one of the things that came out of the Second Boer War. And started the Boy Scouts. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. So since we're talking about Scouts and Stamps, let's all see if we can go get our merit badges. Ooh. <laughs> the requirements are, one, do the following. A, discuss how you can better understand people, places, institutions, history, and geography as a result of collecting stamps. Ah, proven. We just did that one. B, briefly describe some aspects of the history, growth, and development of the United States postal system. Nope. No, we didn't do that one yet. Nope. Really? Okay, let's we were do talk, it We quick. were talking about South Africa. Yeah. Tell how it is different from postal systems in other countries. 
Well, I suppose if you live in another country, you wouldn't discuss the U.S. postal system. You would discuss the postal system in whatever country you live in. That is true. Because the Boy Scouts are a worldwide thing. Other countries do have Boy Scouts. And actually, we have a lot of listeners in, well, all over the world, including the Netherlands. Yes. Yes. Shout out to Marcel, who we're trying to get in touch with. Marcel, if you hear this podcast, drop me an email, please. We want to put you on the podcast, and we don't have uh, your email address. So let's see. The United States postal system is different from the... They started out riding horses, and now they ride trucks. Yes. And uh, we're different from the uh, Canadian postal system because our stamps have United States on it and theirs have Canada on it. And theirs are better centered. <laughs> and, they yeah. have, and they have better artwork. And better artwork. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have better stamp designers. Yeah. And we still issue stamps, unlike Iceland. Oh, yes. Iceland is going stampless. They're going to be a dead country <clears throat> As far as stamp collecting goes. Yeah, I, I don't... Does that mean stamp prices wow. from Iceland are going to go through the roof? <laughs> <laughs> or not, depending on interest. I, I think that uh, there's no way for you to go stampless. You have to at least have some sort of postal labels or something like well, that. Well, there'll be labels. They just won't be stamps. Yeah, so people will collect labels. Oh, yay. Those are fun. <laughs> those, are, those are attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Two... Define topical stamp collecting. Name and describe three other types of stamp collections. So let me jump in here since I'm a topical collector. Uh, Topical collecting is collecting stamps or other postal items related to a specific topic or idea. And three other topics are Olympics, birds, and dogs. Types of stamp collections would be like a country collection or... Um, uh, I collect used stamp hinges. Yeah, I collect stamp hinges. Excellent. Uh, probably a first day cover collection, free cancel collection, you know, those sort of things, maybe. I'm not sure. If you go by judging standards, then you'll have a topical, you'll have uh, traditional, and you'll have uh, narrative and you'll have, uh, what are some of the other ones? Judging has a couple of different categories. But are categories types of collections? Yes. From the judging standpoint, they are. So if you want to be judged. So collecting narratives as a stamp collection? A uh, narrative exhibit. All right. Is that like telling a story with stamps? Yes. <laughs> you'll have, you'll have a, a story like... One of the ones that is really, really good, if you have a chance to see it, is they have the uh, history of Georgia, the Russian Republic, not the state in uh, California, or the state in the, the United state States. The state in California. The state in California. <laughs> now, not, hey, is Georgia in California? Yeah. When did that happen? Did they just pick it up and move it? Yeah. Well, well they couldn't get Chattanooga, so they figured they'd take California. <laughs> yeah. Three. Show at least one example of each of the following. A, perforate and imperforate stamps. B, mint and used stamps. C, sheet, booklet, and coil stamps. D, numbers on plate block, booklet, or coil, or marginal markings. E, overprint and surcharge. F, metered mail. G, definitive, commemorative, semi-postal, and airmail stamps. H, cancellation and postmark. I, first day cover. 
J Postal Stationery, Aerogram Stamped Envelope and Postal Card, for stamp collecting. Holy cow. That's a lot of <laughs> that, stuff. That's, that's bigger than some people's collections. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Don't Merit, think I Merit. knew what half that stuff was for the first year I was a collector. Yeah. <laughs> Merit, Merit badges aren't for the weak. Yeah. <laughs> no. Wait. I actually have this merit badge. Well, tell everybody you, <laughs> you, you know, and, and being you know, being an Eagle Scout, earning all those merit badges is uh, no easy task, and does reserve the, deserve the respect that a lot of people give it. Mm. A- applause to you, Stan. It it was this and the other twenty merit badges that you had to have. Plus the the big thing was the project. Yep. Um, of and takes a lot of work and it, it took a lot of help from a lot of people so you know it's one of those things that for me um, it goes on the resume it's pretty pretty big deal I mean you know and it should be if there's you know if it's done right not only the work right so yeah, every if so every right if everybody who listens to this podcast will be five percent of an Eagle Scout yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> If they don't fall out, because that was still only number three. Hmm. Oh, that's true. We got more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Four, do the following. A, demonstrate the use of one standard catalog for several different stamp issues. Explain why catalog value can vary from the corresponding purchase price. B, explain the meaning of the term condition as used to describe a stamp. Show examples that illustrate the different factors that affect a stamp's value. Guess we did a whole podcast on that. Yeah, we did the last uh, we, podcast. We got a lot of collectors who don't understand that to begin with. <laughs> yeah. and we're maybe going, maybe even some dealers. And we're going to have a YouTube put up on this exact number four. You can watch the YouTube. Five, demonstrate the use of at least three of the following stamp collectors' tools: a stamp tongs, b water and tray. Please don't use water. C, magnifiers, D, hinges and stamp mounts, E, perforation gauge, F, glassine envelopes and cover sleeves, G, watermark fluid. I think the watering tray is for soaking stamps off, right. but today <laughs> that's useless. Well, it's not useless <laughs> because there are some that soak and some do not, depending on who manufactured the stamp. But, uh, yeah, it, it can be hit or miss. And that, again, is noted, something that's noted in the catalog. Yep. Well, um, you also have people who would have the old collections where they just, you know, have the corners. They cut the corners off and the stamps are still on piece, so you'd still want water for those. Yeah, that's true. Six, do the following. A, show a stamp album and how to mount stamps with or without hinges. Show at least one page that displays several stamps. B, discuss at least three ways you can help to preserve stamps, covers, and albums in first-class condition. Well, hmm. uh, three ways to preserve stamps. In first, I, I'm thinking they're meaning hinges and then stamp mounts. Well, for covers, slabbing. It be, covers it would <laughs> be sleeves. <laughs> yeah, sleeves and slabbing. And... Uh, Make sure your your stamp albums have slip cases. Yeah. 
So the stamps don't slip out. Yep. Yep. And keep out the rodentia. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work so well. Holy cow, seven is crazy. Seven, do at least two of the following. A, design a stamp, cancellation, or cachet. Maybe you'll be better than the post office. Hey, I've done a lot of those. B, visit a post office, stamp club, or stamp show with an experienced collector. Explain what you saw and learned. C, write a review of an interesting article from a stamp newspaper, magazine, book, or website with your parents' permission. D, research and report on a famous stamp-related personality or the history behind a particular stamp. Just did that. E, describe the steps taken to produce a stamp. Include the methods of printing, types of paper, perforation styles, and how they are gummed. F, prepare a two- to three-page display involving stamps. Using ingenuity as well as clippings, drawings, etc., tell a story about the stamps and how they relate to history, geography, or a favorite topic of yours. Well, if I have to do two of the following, I'm going to do two easy ones. I think we have an email today for um, the methods of printing and types of paper. Oh, yeah, we do, actually. <clears throat> More on that later. More on that later. So it's not storks? Eight, mount and show in a purchased or homemade album one of the following. A, a collection of 250 or more different stamps from at least 15 countries. B, a collection of stamps from each of 50 different countries mounted on maps to show the location of each. C, a collection of 100 or more different stamps from either one country or a group of closely related countries. D, a collection of 75 or more different stamps on a single topic. Some interesting topics are scouting, birds, insects, the Olympics, sports, flowers, animals, ships, holidays, trains, famous people, space, and medicine. Stamps may be from different countries. E, a collection of postal items discovered in your mail by monitoring, over, monitoring it over a period of 30 days. Yeah, that'll be a pretty small collection. Actually, I got two COVID-related items that go yeah, into my yeah, collection. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to do... I want, a, I want, I want the collection of uh, stuff on a map and do the collection of stuff from countries that no longer exist. Yeah, yeah. When I did... That would be pretty cool. Because I was in Scouts and I did get this merit badge. I did that. And I, and I destroyed the stamps because I put little pins in them to make little flags out of them and I stuck them into the map so it was really nice looking but it get like get like an East German stamp and just put it right on Germany <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things like that and I uh, destroyed the stamps I put pinholes in them and that is all it takes so you only got to do eight things hmm. yeah plus about 15 sub things yeah <laughs> And just as a note, uh, and this is one, because I collect Tasco booklets. They have a stamp collecting Tasco booklet, and it's number T15. And I never knew that this booklet existed. But it had all the uh, Boy Scout requirements in one of those little Tasco, Tasco booklets. If I'd, I'd never seen that booklet either. Yeah. For those who aren't aware, uh, Tasco was a... Uh, um, publication by from i forget wyndham 
They were a publication company who produced little um, stamp education booklets. Yeah, but they were at a one stamp I shop. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was Wyndham. But anyway, they some of these are really valuable, like the uh, if they have the original <clears throat> stamps in them. Right. The uh, Confederate one, which has the they're called Springfield forgeries. Uh, that booklet sells for like 125 bucks if it's got the stamps in it. Really? Yeah. I bought a stack of them at 15 bucks a piece. Oh, you made money then because <laughs> yeah, they, they, they sell for better than a hundred bucks each. But you know, again, you get some of them for like 10 or 15 bucks each. The ones that are less popular. I have the, I have the Tasco uh, CSAs. Yeah. Yeah, that's the good in the one. book or not in the book? In the book. Oh, there you go. I, I think whole, I think I think I gave him one a long time ago when I scored a bunch of them. Yeah, on your picture of the Tasco booklet under Imperfect, they have I think what looks like a St. Louis bear. So that's a really <laughs> expensive <laughs> booklet. Well, and believe it or not, there is a Scouts on Stamps Society International Group. And if you're interested in Scouts on Stamps, it's www.sossi.org. I believe the uh, APS also has a chapter uh, for Scouts on Stamps. I don't this know is if, it. I don't, is this it? This is it. I was going to say, I don't know if this is it, but I know yep. they have one. And it's part of the uh, ATA, the American uh, Topical Association. And uh, it costs $25 a year, $30 if you're in Canada, $35 if you're in Mexico. And uh, everywhere else, it's 40 bucks. If you're just electronic, it's $20. And uh, I can eh, basically just email them. I can give you the information, but if you're driving, you're going to run off the road while you write it down. But if you just remember S-O-S-S-I, which is Scouts on Stamps, Society International. Uh, you can find them very easily. So see. So see. So see. So see. Yep, so see. So see you later. <laughs> oh, have we left the scouting yet? No, not yet. Not We're even. about to. The nineteen twenty, the first World Jamboree was nineteen twenty in London, and the first National Jamboree was in nineteen thirty seven in uh, Washington D.C. And uh, there's a lot of philatelic material from that that is widely collected. Oh, that's interesting. Also, the International Scouting Museum is located on West Sahara in Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, we live here. <laughs> really? It certainly is. Uh, very distinguished uh, scout uh, owns it, and it's been there for a long time. And they have a great online uh, collection of uh, scout postcards. Wow. Field and trip? You can actually go visit them in person. We should do a field trip. Yeah, we. <laughs> it's too far to walk, but yeah, we could drive on over there like right now. <laughs> well, they're probably not open. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Quarantine, don't you know? Oh, uh, yes. As a side note, there's also Girl Scouts on stamps. That's actually one of my topicals as well, since I was a Girl Scout. Excellent. And Campfire Girls. And in uh, Britain, for all our British listeners, aren't they called? Uh, they're called something else, right? 
Girl Guide. Hmm. Or is that Australia? Oh, well. I think it's Britain and I think it may be Brittany and Australia. Yeah, Girl Guide. So speaking of the email we were talking about earlier, we have an email from Stan, who happens to be on the podcast. I would like to discuss paper types and fault detection as a topic. Go. So, so for me, I've been playing in the large banknote, small banknote, and where I get hung up is hard paper, soft paper. Then you've got laid paper. Un, you know, it's it just reading the catalog. It's like and the fundamentals of philately it's like there's all different types of paper what are some of the easier ways to tell i know there's the snap test and you could hold them up to the light um at this point you know you kind of can get confused and some hard papers look a little bit different than others so that's where i run into issues when i start trying to identify some of the large banknotes and you have and you haven't even uh, crossed the line into India paper, double paper, onion paper. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> or bond bond paper. My my, fa- um, my favorite part India paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it? What's going or on? Or horizontal laid and vertical laid. You or, know. Or just laid. What does laid look like? Well, you know, it's nice as you get into it Canada. Looks like lines on it. You get into the Canada and you have the horizontal and vertical wove paper. That was fun for me to figure out the first time. And when you get into Canada, you also have uh, four different types of uh, fluorescent overprinting, and all of them are noted in the catalog. Yeah, there's a lot of paper stuff going on. You want to get good with papers, look in the uh, postal stationery section. Oh God, yes. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference? I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about going there. Yeah, you'll you'll have to determine the difference between Oriental buff and buff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and the difference is not uh, what country it comes from, <laughs> or it's no, or whether it works out. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, they they have names for things that are rather odd, except for blue and white. Blue and white are, are like the only two colors they that actually, orange. they don't have orange. They have orange paper. They have orange? Yeah, I think so. Do we have orange? Oh, no, that's in uh, Revenues. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It, it is orange. If you look <laughs> at it, that is orange. Right. And then they say, no, nah, we're not going to call this orange. We're going to call this something really, really obscure so that people have to look in a dictionary to find out what it is. <laughs> like pigeon blood yeah. pink? Yeah, All like right. pigeon blood pink. To slay a pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> well... Did I ever tell I never said the story about Pigeon Blood Pink. Many times. Yeah, well, in, I put it in the Book of Secrets. We've talked about it many times. Oh, okay. I've not heard the story. Oh, okay. Well, he hasn't listened, haven't listened to all the podcasts then. <laughs> Here's the story of Pigeon Blood Pink. It has nothing to do with the color of a pigeon's blood. Pigeon blood was considered in the 1800s a very, very, very high level of quality of gems. 
It's a pigeon blood ruby. And so you had this ultimate goal of pigeon blood that you were looking for. And somehow it got put over into stamp collecting. So they have the number 64B and they A. 64A and they said this is the ultimate color you're trying to get. This is the pigeon blood of stamps. This is the pigeon blood pink. And of course, it isn't pink. It doesn't look like anything from a pigeon, but it is just that thing. What it actually is, is when they were going through it, they said, well, what color is it? And they were using the um, the color guide from, uh, what's the guy's Ridgeway. name? Ridgeway. The Ridgeway color guide, which, again, that was based on bird feathers. So uh, the bird feather color guide, they said, actually, pigeon blood pink is rhodonite. And so if you're looking for a pigeon blood pink, just picture rhodonite in your head. <laughs> Like we all know what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what it is. And again, yeah, it's exactly what you said. What what color is rhodonite? So, uh, so you know. Long, long story short, it's an intense pink. It's just pink with heavier inking. It's just pink with more pink. Pink with more pink, yeah. Yeah, hmm. except that it's not pink like. With pink on top of pink. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you you know, when, when you have... Uh, when you're printing stamps, you have uh, you put so much ink on there, and and uh, if it's lightly inked, it turns out a paler shade, and if it's heavy inked, it turns out a very intense shade. And this is just the intense shade of pink. Well, if you take the color red, it's like mixing paint. Yeah, if you take the color red and you add a little bit of blue and a little bit of yellow to it, you'll get a pinkish looking color. And so how you tell pink from the regular rose shades is it actually has a slightly blue cast and a slightly yellow cast. And the reason why pigeon blood pinks deteriorate with time is because the yellow pigment deteriorates over time. And so when you have red with a little bit of blue in it, now you're into the rose shades. So if you have a pigeon blood pink, and you put it in the sunlight, eventually it'll go from pigeon blood pink to pink to rose. And it's just because of that yellow being burnt out of it with the UV light. Hmm. So the value goes from $3,000 to 50 cents. Exactly. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave your pigeon blood pinks in the sun. And there's everything you need to know about paper. Yeah. <laughs> But if you're looking for if you're looking for laid paper, laid paper is much easier to tell on postal stationery because the laid lines are so wide. Well, that, more and, there's, and it's also very prevalent. Yeah. On a lot of the earlier issues, a lot of not the colored papers, but uh, you do see a lot of the issues are on laid paper. Okay, so you brought it up. Go ahead and describe well, what laid lines are, because again, well, we're a podcast. We have to describe it. We can't well, show here, people. Here, here's the thing, though, to me is if you're going to get into two paper types, ribbed paper for her pleasure versus laid paper because they both have lines. Ribbed, right. ribbed paper is very fine and is a lot of times difficult to see unless you're looking at the paper at a with lighting at a very acute angle. And the, for her pleasure. The right. laid paper 
looks more like a barbecue grill. In one direction, you have very definite lines, and then in the other direction, the lines are very widely spaced, although they're very they're also very clear. But it's like burn marks on your burger. That's a good way to describe laid paper. Yeah, except that uh, picture burn lines on the burger. Grill grill marks. Except that the entire thing is the same color. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Grill grill marks, not burn marks. It's not burnt. Grill marks, yeah. But uh, if you get a big enough steak, you'll see not only the the closely spaced lines, but you'll also see the wider spaced lines going perpendicular. And that's really easy to get an example just... Just uh, hold up a bunch of old letters, backlight them, and eventually you'll find one that has these basically what looks like grill marks, They're, and that's laid paper. Yeah. In my opinion, it looks almost like a, a watermark that's just grill lines. Yeah, and, and it, when you dip a stamp, they're easy to see, yeah. unlike ribbed paper, which is for her can, pleasure. Be, can be much more difficult to see. It's much more subtle, just like a woman. Ah. Yes. So that's about going to wrap us up for today. Hope you learned everything you needed to know about paper. Hope we answered part of your question, Stan. Uh, you got most of it. Um, <laughs> I'll have to have another conversation about faults later. But, hey, you get what you can get. So back on our scouting topic, there is the, uh, the Scouts on Stamps Society International and they have a website, which is www.sossi.org. So check them out if you're interested in stamps on Scouts on Stamp Society. Speaking of groups, join the virtual Stamp Club meeting every Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can go to the Virtual Stamp Club Facebook group for more information. Also, join the podcast. A lifetime membership is only $10, and we need your help to keep us going because nothing on the internet is free, including setting up our telephone and all our other fun connections. We are an APS-affiliated club, so include your APS membership number. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053, and your support is very much appreciated. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 260. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Stan. This was Tony. This was Becca. This was Dawn. I got them all to say was. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.